We are live. Episode 44. This one is going to be a good one. Big fan of the brand. Madeline Hayden, Nut Pods. Hi there. Hi. Eric Malzoni. Are we doing level five? Is that what can we, are we doing? Yeah. A short, okay, I like that. I like a little, yeah, I, like, I like it punchy. I like it punchy. I like it punchy too. I like it when you like it punchy. Like that's my favorite thing. Yeah. Madeline, uh, we are going to chat about nut pods. When did it start and what were the first products that you launched? Sure. So I started a business in 2013. We took two years to get to market with a commercial formula and we launched on the market five years ago. Um, our initial products were just three hardworking flavors of an unsweetened dairy-free creamer. It was just original French vanilla and hazelnut. And so, and today we've got more flavors, we've got more LTOs, limited time offers, and we've got oat, so we've, we've found quite a bit. I, I liked what you just said, because those who watch this, the whole idea is about value, right? Somebody getting into the business, food and beverage. You, you mentioned that you had three hard workers, never heard that before, which is pretty sweet. Um, would you suggest that as far as somebody starting a food and beverage company and saying, find a couple good SKUs and work that first before you move on to anything? So much so. I, I would say, number one, you know, a lot of brands, I think, make honestly a mistake of coming out and wanting to have a platform brand and going out and leveraging their brand into unproven product categories and you just need to be really good at one and and learn about where customers want your brand to be so we knew that we wanted to be plant-based creamers we knew we wanted to launch unsweet because it was a different um you know product differentiation and, and benefit for the consumer not in a hey we're almonds and coconuts you know type of way or almonds and pecans or almonds and cashews but unsweetened wasn't anything on the marketplace. And so with something that was as ritualistic as coffee, people wanted to have their, their perfect cup, their own preferred sweetener and sweetness level. So that was the lane that we stuck. And then we knew that, you know, the top three flavors would dominate our sales. And when you focus early on, you can control a lot more of your time, of your energy, of your production, of your money that you need to have, you know, allocated towards those three hardworking SKUs. Before you started this, were you doing something in the space or something totally different? Give us a little context about, about your background. Yes. So when I started the company, I was pregnant. I had come from nonprofit, so blood banking, all the blood drives that you see at universities or workplaces, churches. Uh, I was a mobile recruitment supervisor, so I had a team of eight that set up all these blood drives in the community. I came from public access to fibrillation, so always you know, gravitating towards helping people in the community. And now we're doing it with, with a healthy, better for you, non-dairy creamer. And so, but I didn't come from the space at all. And I'll tell you, um, you know, for the first couple of years, I was a little bit self-conscious about, oh, I, I don't really come from the industry. And by the way, that's hard when you're trying to raise money. But I think now looking back, it really allowed me to approach our product and our brand 
as the lens of a consumer. So I was always like, what kind of product would I want to buy from as a consumer? What kind of company would I want to support as a consumer? And it's been a good guiding star. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, well, you and I are in the same boat there. I, I didn't have any experience getting into this. And oftentimes I get all these recommendations about what we should do. And I go, but that's not who we are. Um, that's not what I am and that's not what this represents, right? So uh, I like that. I also like that w you came from the area that you came from and, and created this. Um, I think that there are specific stats with regards to what you guys are doing as far as your growth. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna throw one out. Like, are you the fastest growing uh, plant-based creamer on the market or top three? We are number four. We just passed. So Delicious and Milo, that is a full circle moment for us because that's the brand that I was using when I created that pods. And so when you pass the brand that you were using as a consumer, it's pretty special. Sure. And so I would say also we are um, one of, we're, we're one of the fastest growing. I think we're number one or number two. Silk might've like beat us because they upsized. And so they've gotten significant growth from going to a bigger size. Okay. And so but I love our story because I love the fact that, you know, in five short years, we've gone from a direct to consumer e-com business going into retail. You know, my company is less than 30 people and we're competing against the big boys of Nestle and Danone. And we're really rewriting about how you can go to market effectively and also about how you can compete. You know, we're never going to have the resources like a Silk or a Danone, but look at what we've been able to, you know, to achieve in our five short years. We've been on Inc. 5000 list. We've been on Amazon's Small Business of the Year. You know, we are the category leader in terms of velocity, the category leading brand in velocity, and we have the market share on online um, for that channel, you know, the best-selling creamer with a fraction of the team and a fraction of the resources. And it really goes to show that bigger is not always better. You just have to work smarter and you have to be different. I like that a lot. Um, give us the transition from direct to consumer. I figure from maybe 13 to, to maybe 15 or give us that direct to consumer play for how long was it? And then how did you transition into retail and how did you know which set of retail you were going to be going after first? So I think actually um, the investors that passed on us kind of nudged me along. Now there are lessons of, along the way for the journey. You just can't shy away from them. And so we were just killing it online. We were doing so well um, as a direct to consumer brand. And there's a lot of strategic reasons on, on how it makes sense for your brand to go to market, you can get, you know, direct feedback, you can control your people, personnel costs, because whether or not you sell $10,000 a day or $100,000 a day, it's the same e-com manager type of uh, situation, not so as you know, when you go into retail. And so, but we had, we had um, notably like one investor that said, you know, you've done really well online, but it remains to be seen whether or not you can translate that into retail. And for me, I was like mind blown about how our small brand unknown can be selling millions of dollars on a crowded digital marketplace like Amazon. Of course we would work when we get into retail. And so, you know, we, we went about two and a half years being a direct to consumer brand, building up, 
competencies about our brand, knowing how to differentiate our brand. And then we said, okay, it's time for us to go into retail. And with that, we knew at that point about what were our strongest cues. We also had a really good understanding about who was buying us and who wasn't buying us and how much price elasticity played a part in our role. And we also were able to take information from our online sales and say, okay, these are our top selling states. So what retailers really make sense for us? And you take a look at, you know, plant-based indexes. So some retailers are selling more in plant-based, some are, are not quite there yet. And so we really went out to build a velocity story. We went after all the retailers that were leaning into challenger brands that wanted to have differentiation and would go to support us. And so we started building that velocity. And when we started, you know, outpacing and being velocity leaders, then we, we never, we never were like ACV leaders, but we always had them on velocity and we just built on that story and built more and more onto retailers and more and more channels. Like so that. we went from consumer to um, actually conventional picked us up quicker than natural, even though we're all of the things that you would think in natural, right? Non-GMO, verified, vegan, kosher, Whole30. But Whole Foods was going through such a transitional period that it was a little bit um, tougher for us to get in there. And so we actually launched Nationwide with Kroger, Wegmans. And then afterwards, that following year, you know, we picked up Sprouts and Whole Foods and Publix. And so we are pretty much distributed evenly um, between the between the two channels. And then we added, you know, mass. So now we're in Walmart and Target. Quite a story in a short period of time. Eric's confirming that. Um, if yeah, you're well. watching, um, one of the things that she had noted, which you could do a whole series on as far as direct to consumer, there's 25 different reasons why direct-to-consumer is so important. Uh, one mm -hmm. is you can keep costs down. Two is, which she mentions about just getting feedback, right? I often say, like, go down to the farmer's market and go ask 100 strangers what they really think about your product, uh, and then also see if they're going to give you three bucks for it, right? That's a big, big key uh, item that you should put on the checklist. But if you go direct to consumer on your website or on Amazon, you're getting feedback, you'll get reviews, you'll also see if you're, you're gonna slowly trend up. And then from there, you can walk into uh, a grocer, it could be regional, I often talk about, it could be down the street from you. And if you really wanna play, right, you wanna say, no, I think we, we could do this, you know, you can get in front of buyers for, for a national chain. It, it takes time. Maybe you, you can get connected through somebody, but you also will have real feedback, not just, oh, I think it's great, or my mom thinks it's great. You need customers. You need people who are going to validate your product. So um, let's now jump to, let's say, 2019, Madeline. Uh, where were you last year positioned all those retailers you mentioned? I'm assuming Amazon is just continuing to grow. Uh, what, did the, what did the business look like? I think you said 30 uh, employees right now. What did the business look like last year? Last year we were just launching into Walmart and Target. And we were right before COVID. And so, and we were in about probably about um, 12,000 12,000 points of distribution at that point. 
And so just getting going in a new channel, which is, you know, mass, which is a little bit daunting, right? Because it's like with the mass, it's a little bit more like, okay, you know, is your brand, does it have broad church appeal? And number two, that price point, you know, it's easy when, when Whole30 or CrossFit are, are willing to pay a premium price because they link how they eat with their wellness. Now we got to make sure that like, is the Walmart consumer, is the target consumer in the same place? And so being able to do that and, um, you know, it, it's, it's all these points about like you have these testing moments, right? Where when you get into a, an EDLP account like Wegmans, where it's like, you know, you, you got to work, you got to work and you can't pull levers. You can't throw like an emergency TPR, you can't do coupons. And so it allows you to really see what your brand has legs for. I would also say the other thing too, is, you know, I started this company with a Kickstarter campaign mark. So if I was going to fail, I wanted to fail fast, right? And so, and that's another reason why you start small with a few SKUs of your best foot forward and you really get behind your best SKUs and, and be able to support them, learn how to market them, learn how to, how to sell them in. And, and I think being able to like have that also controls your burn because, you know, I'm, I'm going to say something right now and, I feel like right now is so great in the fact that that investor dollars have never been more available to startups right now. And the competition for good sound opportunities for business to invest in, you know, the appetite is definitely there from the investor community. I feel like sometimes when I see the amount of raises that small brands sub 5 million are, are raising, it, it makes me, like wonder if conflating the the goal is not to be a, a capital raising machine, you know, but it's to build a profitable business that can endure, which means it's sustainable. You've got good gross margins. These are like boring, unsexy things, <laughs> but it is what makes a business grow and sustainable. So you don't have to raise a series B, C, D, you know, bridge round, um, be able to like dilute. So at the end of the day, after all of your hard work and your blood, sweat and tears of bringing this amazing brand that you love and have nurtured and you own like 10% at the end of the day. And so I just really want to like caution with with people it's like i know that the money is there resist the temptation because you've got to figure out what works for your brand and how to scale it and how to make it sustainable so that you're not dependent upon you know needing more money in order to like get into the next level of the next milestone that you have music to my ears I just, I just posted about that. I mean, we're in our, you know, again, we, sometimes I talk uh, specifically about like what we're doing, but um, I just talked about the idea of getting to profitability or having like a clear line, like really understanding how you're going to get there and what it takes to get there. We've, we have this narrative that's been going on for quite some time and I'm in the Bay area. So it's even more so, you know, because we have tech, it's been going on forever. You know, the raise was celebrated. You know, even in our industry, it comes down the feed of, you know, X, Y, you know, raised, raised this much money. There's no backstory. There's no information for, for majority of people who see that, those that want to get into the business, those that are in the business, um, they don't understand the full scope. What does it mean? Who did the money come from? Why did they invest, right? What, what is the real story? 
what should be celebrated much, much louder is building a sound business. And even more so, one that's being built with founders and a group, a team that really cares about what they're doing. Because not only is it incomparable, it's unmatched in terms of what you can do competitively, like walking into meetings, showing, showing up and just talking about your brand. But like, it just puts you way ahead of everybody else and what they're trying to do. So I'm a big fan of everything that you just said, like, whoop, whoop. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because raising money is tough. You know, it's emotionally tough. It feels very personal. It feels like they're saying either you're not good enough, your idea is not good enough, your team's not good enough. Like I get it that it's hard. But the thing is, is that when you are constrained on resources, whether or not it's time, whether or not it's energy, whether or not it's capital resources, it forces you to really be so much more disciplined in the decisions you make because all of a sudden it's like, we don't have $50,000. So what can we do to get us almost there on $15,000? And you know, you, you want to have that discipline early and it's so easy to say, oh, but when we scale, like we're going to get efficiencies, you know, production efficiencies. And I, as far as I'm concerned, it's elusive because as soon as you think you have, you know, like some type of scales of economy, the price of almonds go up, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden electronic monitoring for truck drivers go up and all of a sudden, you know, our cogs on, on our transportation or warehouse because there's constraint in warehouses, like something goes up. So, you know, don't, don't build a business where it's like, we have to compete on price. Nobody is going to be able to compete on price when you're going up against like an established player. So figure out what makes your brand different and make sure that it brings value to the consumers. Nobody yeah. cared about whether or not it was almonds or coconut, could have been almonds or cashews. But what they cared about is that it was a balanced, neutral taste. It was unsweetened. We had transparency on our ingredients with our certifications. And, you know, we were a genuine, authentic brand. Like every carton has, you know, signed Madeline, mom and not pods, you know, founder, because I want them to know I'm a real person trying to create a healthier product um, so that people have choices instead of like being a figurehead for a big food company. And so. Well, well, well said. <laughs> well said. I'm sure Eric, you will agree. Uh, Madeline, just to close it out, um, where you, I know you have such a big vision uh, and shout out, it's VMG, right? You're with VMG? VMG is our capital so, partner. So, so we mm -hmm. have to do this. Shout out Wayne, shout out Wayne. That's right. Do, Shout out to Wayne and McConnell and Sarah. And <laughs> oh, my God, how to do that. Um, closes out on your side as far as, uh, I don't want to go out maybe five years. So let's talk about 12 months from now. We see what's going on around here. We, you know, we talk about that often too, but 12, 24 months from now, what does NutPods look like? NutPods looks a lot more in distribution. NutPods has more products. We started out with an almond coconut line. We had so many people that wanted an allergen, you know, free option. We ended up listening and giving them our oat line as well. And we have new products that are coming out that we think are very exciting that also will, you know, will have a market need. And so we're not building product just to sell more product. We're building products that are actually going to help people solve a market need that they have. Love it. Keep up the good work. 
Uh, I love the brand and I've, I've had it, actually I have some in the fridge. It's good, very good stuff. Um, <laughs> Eric Malzoni, oh, I know the guy, I know Eric. We used to throw around weights at Lelaine Fitness, San Francisco. Shout out, Lelaine Fitness, old olden days. Right, remember that, Eric? You remember oh, that? Oh, shout out, Chris Lelaine. Yeah, man, Chris, I remember. Shout out, Chris Lelaine. Yeah. Um, uh, level five, uh, talk to us. What's the pl I've been on it, but give, give us the platform for what you guys are doing over there. Yeah, man, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not terribly complicated. We are a mentoring company for entrepreneurs and founders and uh, executives. We do executives as well. In my role within the company, so we have Ken Andruko, who is my partner, um, former mentor, now great friend and, and business partner. Uh, he's the lead mentor, and I do most of the content creation. So I, I have three podcasts that I've done over time. Um, Future of Fitness, because you know I've been in the fitness industry for a very long time. Fitness Blitz Radio and Black Diamond Podcast. I think you're the only person, Mark, who's on, who's been on all three mm. so that's yeah quite a testament he's just he's a great interview so and he can do a muscle up i bet oh yeah he can do boy can he well, now it's now i'm old now, now i'm old I, get, I, I can hardly get out of bed what are you talking about now <laughs> go, go ahead so that's it man we do a lot of it we uh, we're about a year and a half old and we've, we've been seeing actually a lot of growth through through the pandemic and just because a lot of people are shifting as you guys know, consumer needs are changing and anytime consumer needs change, entrepreneurs are there to help solve problems. And it's been, uh, it's been a really interesting, struggling time for the fitness industry. Like I said, I've been in the fitness industry for over 10, 10 years now, longer than I like to admit. Been challenging for that vertical for sure, but it's, um, yeah, that's what we do now. It's, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Very cool, man. I'm glad, glad seeing you. Uh, Eric's info, Madeline's info is going to be in, in a box somewhere. I appreciate having both of you guys on. Be well, be healthy, be happy. Peace. <laughs>